0: Welcome back to the Registrar Roundup for this week commencing Monday, the 14th of September. And this week, we're continuing our theme of exploring the future of the uh, trade repository space. We're looking at RegTech uh, in more depth. We're exploring where we see the industry going, where the market is going. And that's why this week we're very, very pleased to have joining us from Tel Aviv, which is very exciting just because you are the first person who has dialed in from outside the European Union uh, to join us in our virtual studios. So that you divert, should get some sort of award for that. It is Ronan Curtis who is the founder and CEO of Capitech, the RegTech innovator and you know fintech success story that, of course, you will all know if you work in the space. Ronan,
1: welcome. Thank you.
0: Also in the virtual studio this week, joining us with what is probably going to be one of the most depressing Brexit updates ever. It's our own Doctor Evil of Brexit, CEO of R in the UK and head of product in Europe, Mr. John Kernan. Morning. Back in the virtual studio um, after a lovely weekend sunning himself uh, on the football fields of North London. It is, of course, the voice of reason, Mr. Nicholas Bruce.
2: Hello, everyone, and good to be back.
0: Of course, this is a financial services podcast and anything could happen in the next 20 minutes. So we need to read a disclaimer to keep our compliance folks happy. And this week, we um, have a very special uh, musical accompaniment from Noam Curtis himself. Yes, Ronan's son is going to be playing Along with us as we read out the disclaimer. Okay, take it away, no. This podcast is sponsored by Registr and features members of the Register team offering their personal opinions. It is not intended to be taken as any form of legal tax or other professional advice, and there is no representation made as to the accuracy or completeness of the information, nor does it necessarily reflect the views of Registr as an organization.
1: Is that it? Is that all? <laughs>
0: As we normally do, we're going to start the show with a thoroughly depressing Brexit report from our very own Dr. Evil, Mr. John Kernan.
3: Yeah, it's not cheery news this week. So on the 9th of September, the UK government published a controversial internal market bill, which deals with the Northern Ireland Protocol, itself an element of the Brexit withdrawal agreement. The bill does not provide for new checks on goods moving from Northern Ireland to Great Britain, It gives UK ministers the power to change or disapply the rules on the movement of goods that come into force on the 1st of January, if the UK and the EU are unable to reach a trade agreement. Therefore, this step would break international law by overriding parts of the Brexit withdrawal agreement. In response, EU Commission Vice President Maros Sefcovic called for an extraordinary extraordinary meeting of the EU UK Joint Committee on the 10th of September. He called on the UK government to withdraw the bill by the end of the month, adding that the EU might consider legal actions against the UK. However, after the meeting, Chancellor of the Duchy of Lancaster, Michael Gove, said that the UK would not withdraw the legislation. Meanwhile, the US House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has warned that there was absolutely no chance of a trade agreement between between the US and the UK if the Northern Ireland peace process is jeopardised. After an exchange of warnings and increasing rhetoric between the two sides over the last weeks, also the eighth round of EU-UK future negotiations ended without any significant progress. EU Chief Brexit Negotiator Michel Barnier said that the EU will intensify its no-deal Brexit preparations as significant differences remain in areas of essential interest for the EU. He claimed that the EU has shown flexibility with regard to the UK's demands on fisheries The EU's top court and other areas, while the UK had not shown reciprocity with regard to the fundamental EU principles and interests.
0: There you go. It gets worse by the week, doesn't it? Wow, that's um, thanks, John. Yeah, wow. (laughs) No, that is um, yeah. That's not great news, is it? And and of course, presumably. As the CEO uh, of the UK, this is uh, making your sort of future planning even more complex than normal, because we we were working on the assumption that a deal is going to come together at the last minute in October and we move forward, as as predicted by Danny Corrigan, who's been pretty good with his uh, crystal ball uh, work so far. So, I mean, what do you think? Do you think this is more brinkmanship as we've been suspecting?
3: I mean, I find the situation extraordinary. I've never really seen any equivalent situation in, you know, 25 years of business. Um, I don't know how to read it, to be honest. I think, I think the situation's unprecedented. Um, if it's brinkmanship, I think it's, uh, you know, it's a very, very high-risk strategy.
0: Nick, uh, you're there at Canary Wharf uh, looking out at uh, the, the sunny vistas of London. Do you see the city diminished by the loss of Euro business after all of this, or do you think we're going to work it out?
2: Uh, great question. And I must admit, I know I, I keep coming back to the, the fact that I think whenever you're in any negotiation, there's always a lot of rhetoric, and that's just part of the process. But even I'm you know, trying very, very hard to look on the bright side and I'm struggling at the moment. I think mean, there's two separate things here. I think the bill itself that they're trying to put through scares me because I think um that could undermine the UK's credibility and that has a far wider impact on us and the world stage. I think the actual trade negotiations themselves, I probably I'm not as alarmed. I think this is all still part of that process and we're really not going to find out more until probably closer to the end of the month. I think the encouraging thing there is people aren't walking out of the negotiations. You're getting the rhetoric, but the negotiations are still happening. That suggests to me that you're still finding the horse trading is going on behind the scenes. So for me, I'm more prompted by that.
3: The the bill also has to be passed, right? I mean, it's, it's not... I know Boris Johnson has a huge majority, but that majority was forged on the basis of the Brexit agreement that he negotiated. And now that this bill appears to be undermining. So, um, you know, we have seen in the UK, for example, we've seen two former prime ministers from opposing political parties writing in the in the, in, in the weekend broadsheets in opposition to, and, you know, I'm reading this morning that there are a number of conservative backbenchers, those who voted both for uh, Brexit and to remain, who are vehemently against this for, for the reasons that Nick's You know, it it, it, uh, fundamentally undermines the UK's credibility.
0: I want to to ask you, Ronan. I mean, you're you're outside the EU just, but of course you do a lot of work within the EU. Um, You're also, of course, um, part of a booming... Uh, economy, booming tech scene um, you know uh, especially not just in, in Tel Aviv but you know Israel generally uh, are really trailblazers in the world of fintech and in the world of, of AI and automation. So what do you think? Does it look, all sound a bit strange to you coming from somewhere that's doing very well outside the EU all the worries uh, and the
1: sort of endless navel gazing that the, the, the British in particular are putting into Brexit? Well I think you announced me as uh, your first guest outside of the EU I have a feeling you'll have plenty more <laughs> in the coming weeks um, you know I think it's politics more than anything else and um, with politics everything can happen and you know reason is one thing and politics is not always on that side um, for us solving problems for the market and um, the more complex the environment is the better we are because we are placed in a in a you know in a position where we are helping firms solving their complex reg reporting and brexit would add complexity so for the industry i don't think it's good news for people like capitec who are solving it i think it could be a potentially a positive news
0: now, Ronan, actually, this sort of segues nicely into uh, the, the broader conversation. When we started last week with Irene Mamigades, and just to say, if you haven't uh, checked that out, do go back and listen to that episode. Uh, go to our LinkedIn page. It'll be there. Uh, you can find it uh, along with all the other podcasts at uh, linkedin.com slash companies slash Regis and Ronan, so moving on with that, we were talking about the fact that the trade repository space is its a kind of dysfunctional market because... You know, there's a constant pressure to lower prices. And there has been the exit of some very major players recently, obviously, uh, which is, has sort of shrunk the number of suppliers there. And and you're one of the first people who's come out uh, in a conversation with Securities Lending Times. Um, hi, Drew, if you're listening, Drew Nickel, uh, editor there, an old friend of the show. Um, you've come out and said that actually you think prices have to rise.
1: That's true. That's right. Um, I think they they have to rise because CME exiting that space CME had um, you know the most competitive offering um it's a space where prices are public so there are no deals done behind the scenes so you everybody who understand that space can scan the prices so it's very clear that by them exiting um you know the other alternatives are more expensive and also i guess the fact that they decided to exit that business At least one of the reasons was on the best of commercials and and having too low of a price um, drove them to decide not to continue with that business. So to me, it's a clear assumption. I mean, one of the
3: things, you're
1: right, Ronan,
3: that um, the pricing at TR as market infrastructure is subject to, um, how would you say, commercial restrictions and, and certain rules and principles that we have to follow. So what um what generally would be known as fran fair reasonable and non-discriminatory which is exactly what you just said you cannot do bespoke pricing um for one customer over another but actually in, interestingly it's, you know the other point is that trs have to demonstrate to esma that their pricing is cost related you have to prove um, that your fee tariff is reflective of, um, of the costs and where, where the costs are incurred and that, for example, you're not, you're not cross-subsidizing or doing anything like that. On the other hand, you have the, your market infrastructure, but you're operating in a highly competitive commercial environment. And the two things are, are very difficult to balance sometimes.
2: Ronan, I'd be intrigued to get your take on it because I'm sure you're probably at the cold face here. So you see, you see this in the conversations you have, uh, particularly when I, you know, you look at the CME client base, they had a huge, um, pool of, I guess you'd call them retail broker clients. Now, when you're looking at cost relatedness, which John references, effectively it's a TR for us, you know, the processing of a trade, it's a unit cost. So it doesn't really matter. Um, when you're looking at that, the, trade, etc. It's, it's irrelevant. But obviously, that has a huge cost impact on the retail brokers, where it's a very small ticket size, but a huge volume going through. I mean, from your point of view, I mean, I'm guessing you're feeling a lot of pressure yourself back from that community, because it's, it's a complete change to the pricing structure downstream, I'd imagine as well.
1: Yes, definitely, Nick. Um, I think that segment is characterized by um, high volumes in terms of transactions. And each transaction is a low uh, nominal value and also low commission for them. <clears throat> and therefore, they are very sensitive for the marginal cost per transaction. Obviously, on the other side, TRs or firms like Capitec, our cost base is mostly associated with the amount of transactions. And therefore, um, there has to be a happy medium in between the two. And I think that's a segment that um, has been quite dominant with the CME uh, client base and would probably uh, be impacted most by the increase in prices. I know that the trade repositories and also us as Capitec, we're trying to minimize the impact on that segment in particular and try to find creative ways um, to reduce the increase in cost or to minimize the increase in cost.
0: Presumably now you are investing quite heavily in process automation. Um, to be able to automate end-to-end entire uh, different regulatory reporting regimes. So it's not just an SFTR solution, right? The, your platform actually will go right the way from MIFID across a, a range of different platforms. So presumably it, there's machine learning, there's training, there's quite an investment every time a new piece of regulation comes out to make sure that you've got the right uh, sort of systems and tools in, in place to actually deliver on that.
1: That's true. First, uh, in terms of coverage, we cover global reporting, so it's not even just Europe. It's uh, global reporting, Asia, North America, etc. We are all of us are technologists in you know in our regions. So we hate any manual work. We hate any (laughs) any you know any linear effort in terms of more work based on number of transactions. So from the get-go, everything has been built in a in a very you know efficient and automated fashion we don't take any manual work from our clients any client of ours is fully automated end to end to ensure you know correct reporting and also to uh, to allow us to reduce our cost base and pass that cost base uh, to our clients as well
0: so the reason i raise this of course is because presumably this could address one of the biggest issues when we had um, uh, IHS markets on with us uh, with QP De Fournier Tran and Jonathan Sang uh, we were going through some of their data and like the biggest cause of rejections is when events are uh, submitted to uh, the TR uh, out of sequence in terms of the life cycle of the trade so you know that that often happens when uh, collateral uh, uh, reports are you know put in before the actual trade report that that it relates to. And so, this causes basic sort of errors. Now, that is very much a human error-driven process. And I think that's 18% of all the rejections that sort of take place on SFTR are accounted for by that. So, we're actually talking about double-digit improvements in efficiency here, aren't we, if we get the automation right?
1: That's correct. And I think with SFTR, there is also a bit of market education. You know, it's the early days, people sometimes make mistakes. We've seen it with other regulations. I think some of it has got to do with technology and automation. Some of it is really educating the market and the participants on, on what's right and what's wrong in terms of reporting.
0: Now, vendors like yourself, you are very agile, you're very focused on sort of machine learning, cloud tech, things that make it very easy to sort of adapt and add new modules. So how do you feel uh, about the sort of the, the, the endless change in the industry? Does it sort of put vendors in a, a prime spot to,
1: you know, uh, use fintech to save the day? I think that's uh, that's very really right, and that's how actually vendors got into this space. If you think about this space, when we started um what is it six years now ago, there was hardly no vendor in that space. And I think that uh, the combination of fast-moving, fast-changing environment, as well as um, higher and tighter scrutiny from the regulator on doing it right with Multiple jurisdiction across the globe and very interesting data play here really cultivated the environment for vendor play. And other than all the reasons that you've uh, highlighted, Andrew, that why vendors can move faster, we are vendors, we are also not regulated. And you know, the regulatory scrutiny that the thread repositories have is yet another reason for them probably moving slower than what a vendor can do. So the combination all of all of that has actually created the vendor environment. And I think together with the endpoints and the vendors, the industry itself has a very good and robust solution um, for that uh, very dynamic and sophisticated problem.
0: I suppose there's still quite a lot of market participants out there, the former CME clients, who are uh, still looking for a TR and still need to port over. You've been porting people now for a few weeks uh, over to Regis TR. Tell us more about that. How is it going?
1: Yes, indeed. Um, we started porting three weeks ago. Um, we have quite a few of clients to port, uh, as well as the new ones moving uh, from CME that we will need to port. Um, so it's a it's a, a quite a undertaking. And we started as early as we could uh, to allow us and the trade repository ample of time to do it in a profession. But I mean,
0: presumably, though, there's still a long way to go, isn't it? I mean, Nick, you, you're quite concerned, aren't you, about this more broadly for the industry that there's there seems to be a lot of ex-CME clients who are waiting for something.
2: Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Ryan and I were talking about this earlier, actually. So for us, obviously, it was fantastic news that Capitec selected us, um, and are porting across to obviously to Regis. But my understanding, and I obviously, I don't have full visibility of it. My understanding is this was the first portability that CME did of any of their vendor clients. Now, the worry that I have, and from what I see with some of the other activity that we have ongoing is that Everything seems to be happening very, very late in the process, sort of from October on. And that only leaves really four weeks for all the portabilities to take place. And we've spoken before about the constraints you have around um, portabilities, around capacity. Um, and I am quite worried that we're really moving towards a bottleneck. And I'm not sure how these will be processed in time.
0: I
1: mean, Ronan, how do you think these things can get processed in time? Um. You know, we've been through a new regime starting, and we know that there is a tendency in the in the history in the industry uh, to wait to the eleventh hour. I think that's what we're seeing here. Have to say that um, you know the time frame was also quite challenging. Six months is not a lot of time to find a new vendor or a new way to report to a new trade repository, and then do all of that quoting. And it's a significant event in the market. So I think there will be a, a significant squeeze in the last weeks um, of that time frame. And I do hope that the industry will manage to port in time. I have to say, I'm not certain.
0: What made you choose Registrar, um as your porting partner?
1: So when we heard that CME are uh, closing their business, uh, we went out and did a uh, quite thorough um, market uh, inspection and, and looked at the various alternatives and also spoke to some of our clients about their preferences. And what we found with uh, Registr is a, is a great combination of the right technology, the right service, and we've been privy to that even prior to uh, CME closing the business because we've been uh, working with Registr on other regimes in the past, um, together with um, um, good price point and uh, I think more than anything else with the right DNA so we felt that we have a partner on the other side and that our clients will have a partner on the other side and we got the support of our clients when we talk to them about Registr so all in all uh, for the main uh, reasons obviously being Brexit ready uh, was also an important uh, prerequisite actually for us. So taking all of that into consideration, we decided to use uh, Registriar as our primary emir trade repository.
0: And that's good. And you heard that here first. And it's coming from outside the EU, from the, the the booming fintech sector, where everyone is a boffin, everyone knows what's happening, where, you know, it is like living in the future. They said, Registriar is Brexit ready. Yes. Result. Finally, John, you've done it. I don't know how you did it, but you've done it. We're Brexit ready. Woo! <laughs> okay, Ronan, there is a question. We're talking a lot about the future, but I have a question for you about the past, about the recent past, about what you did this morning for breakfast. What was
1: your breakfast choice? This was a sourdough with a uh, ripe avocado. I love
0: avocado. Oh mm-hmm. wow. Good.
1: Tim Hartley,
0: Duffin Phelps, are you listening? Your avocado <laughs> has taken off. Of course it's an avocado. It's an Israeli avocado.
1: I mean it's the home of the avocado. Is it half avocado? Um, I think it's an Israeli one. Um, and if I'm in the same company with Tim Hartley, I'm in a great company.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, Tim is the avocado man uh, of uh, the TR industry, for sure. Uh, well, now you're the avocado brothers. That'll be it. We'll have to get you both on at the same time.
1: <laughs> the avocado outside of the EU. Yes. <laughs> Wow! Uh, well, wow, that's awesome. Okay, good,
0: good. You know, I'm going to have to try this uh, smashed avocado for breakfast now. I think that sounds fantastic. I think that's um, I'm going, I'm going there next. Although I must say, QP's uh, breakfast soup is amazing. I still haven't had anyone contact me for the recipe though. Just to remind you, if you're listening, do drop me a line on LinkedIn, and I will send you uh, QP's awesome breakfast soup recipe, which is truly a thing to behold. But you know, uh, uh, as for a smashed avocado, I'm guessing the recipe isn't too hard. You you just smash an avocado is that just checking
1: <laughs> no it's lemon salt and pepper so the combination is the, the secret
0: okay good good and also I'm, I'm told that the lemon actually preserves the color of the avocado so that you can prepare it a little way in advance but it still stays lovely and green if you mix in the lemon
1: that's right if your avocado is not good if it's good enough you eat it fast enough because before it gets dark anyhow I'm about to say something very sacrilegious,
3: but uh, to me that just sounds like guacamole on toast, no?
1: Well, (laughs) Not really (laughs)
0: No, it's not guacamole, John I'll just leave it there Good, okay Um, Well, that's it So listen, thank you very much For joining this week I want to give a huge uh, Thank you to the CEO And founder of Capitech A a fintech genius And also, uh, if you're listening Tim Hartley A kindred spirit In the avocado steaks uh, A huge thank you To Ronan Curtis of
1: Capitech Thank you guys for having me and, and also, genius. <laughs> also,
0: he is a genius. He's, he's no, if he's the dad of a genius, because a huge thanks to Noam as well for his uh, musical accompaniment this morning. That's fantastic. Setting a high bar there, I think, for all of us to meet. And uh, also, of course, it is time to say goodbye from the uh, voice of reason, Mr. Nicholas Bruce. Goodbye, everyone. And Ryan, a
2: huge thank you for joining us today. My pleasure.
0: And last but never least, uh, thank you. Exit himself, uh, CEO of Registro in the UK and Head of Products in Europe, Mr. John Kernan. Bye everyone have a great week and indeed on that note have a great week do remember to go to our linkedin page that is linkedin.com slash companies slash regis hyphen tr and listen to this podcast and all the other podcasts listen do go back and listen to last week's show with irene memigandies uh, who set up many of the themes that we've explored today and come back next week for more discussion about the future of the industry and where we're going and hopefully some good news about brexit john Bring us some good news next time. I'll do my best. That's great. That's great. You know what, he sounds so confident about that. That's wonderful. And on that front, have a great week, everybody. If you're back in the office, we hope it's going well. If you're still working from home, reach out on your networks, join us on LinkedIn, and do join us next week for the next Registry Our Roundup. Bye-bye.